Welcome to A Meaningful Mess, a podcast for educators that believe that it's okay for learning to be messy as long as it's meaningful. I'm your host, Andy McNair. I'm a wife, mom, author, speaker, and passionate educator. I believe in the generation of learners that sit in today's classrooms, and I absolutely love helping other passionate educators find meaning in their mess. Let's get started. Welcome back to A Meaningful Mess Podcast. Well, today I thought I would finally tackle this big conversation that so many people are having. I have avoided this conversation so many times just because I feel like there's not a whole lot of solution around it. And if I'm honest, I like to provide practical solutions. I like to be able to say, here's an idea. Here's a way you could do this. Here's what that could look like. And there's something about this topic that makes me really nervous. And I think that it's just that whole not knowing and it's such a big issue that I don't even know where to begin. So I thought, hey, why not hop on and (laughs) record a podcast about it? Um, So what I want to talk about and what I want to share is just kind of my thought process and some things that have been rumbling around in my head about digital equity. Um, you guys are probably in the same situation that I'm in. It's every conversation I've had recently has come back around to digital equity, right? If I'm sharing ideas or I'm sharing tech tools or we're talking about some cool things that can be done, somebody always asks, and in my webinar forums each week, by the way, if you haven't seen those, every Monday at eight o'clock, I go live on my Facebook page, A Meaningful Mess. Um, and just share thoughts and ideas. And you can always access those webinars. Um, They're all recorded and they're shared over on my website at Andy McNair slash at home learning. Again, that's Andy McNair slash at home learning. I'll put that link in the show notes for sure. But each week when I record a webinar, I ask for, I always ask, you know, hey, what do you guys want to learn about in this particular webinar? What are some things you're wondering? And somebody, usually multiple people, will respond with, what do we do for our learners who do not have access to technology? And that that conversation just keeps coming up. And I thought, look, I just want to sit down and kind of think this through and consider you know, what What are the solutions? What are the answers? And so this evening I sat down to write a blog post because so often just writing, writing just helps me think through things and it helps me feel like I'm doing something. And so as I was writing the blog post, I instantly kind of began to realize that digital equity goes so far beyond just additional devices and Wi-Fi access right? Digital equity is going to require more than that. It's going to require a fundamental shift in how we see learning. And so that's what I want to talk about on this blog post is, or not on this blog post, on this podcast, right? (laughs) That's what happens when you try to do two things in the same night. It's a bad idea. But on this podcast, I really want to talk through, um, 
what that fundamental shift in, in thinking can look like and how we can start to take kind of baby steps in solving this problem. Um, that whole conversation of every kid having a device and, and solving all of the Wi-Fi issues. Man, I hope that's the case. And I hope that that happens soon. But I think the reality of that happening this fall um, is probably not going to happen. Does that mean we're not continuing to work toward it? Absolutely not. Is that a conversation that needs to continue to be um, on the forefront of so many meetings and so many people that have the potential to make those things happen? Absolutely. But as educators, we have to start saying, okay, if we can't make that happen, what is this going to look like? We can't just keep saying, well, we can't do that because all of our kids don't have access to technology or we don't know how to make learning meaningful for everyone because everyone doesn't have access to Wi-Fi. Number one, let's just get this out of the way. Technology does not have to be involved for learning to be meaningful. Uh, does technology help? Can it make things more relevant and does it give them more access Absolutely. Are there tools that make things easier for us as educators when we use technology? Yes. But sometimes we just have to kind of realize, all right, that's not going to be the situation. What are we going to do to, again, kind of take baby steps to figure out what this is going to look like in the fall? And I don't know what the fall holds. I don't know what's coming for us um, as far as what school is going to look like. But what I do know is that regardless of where they are learning, it has to be meaningful. And whether or not they have access to technology, it has to be meaningful. And so we've got to figure out ways to make that happen. So first of all, I want to address that there is a difference between remote learning and remote teaching. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for both because there is. But I think we have to understand that it's the remote learning that will likely have the biggest impact on our learners. You know, when I think about remote teaching, I think about educators who are delivering things through video, maybe discussion boards or learning management systems like Google Classroom, Schoology, Canvas. Those are all powerful. But somehow we have to be able to deliver the information, right? How do we give them access to what it is that they need to know? So that remote teaching is really the delivery of content from the educator to the learning. And then remote learning involves the connections that are made beyond the walls of the classroom. It transfers ownership and requires action from the learner. Um, technology does not have to be involved in order for remote learning to happen. Now, I think sometimes the remote teaching, in order for us to provide the content, there has to be somewhere for that to take place. So I almost see technology playing a bigger role in the remote teaching than it does always in the remote learning. Now, I want to be clear. I understand that technology can make communication easier, and it definitely can provide tools that will make learning relevant and meaningful. I'm not suggesting that it's not important to consider how we can provide additional devices and better connection. I think that that, again, needs to be, we need to continue to explore those options. But the reality is that solution is not coming overnight. So instead, we're going to have to work toward um, those things over a period of time. And it's that period of time that we wait for those solutions 
that I want to kind I want to kind of talk about in this podcast. What are some things we can do right now to start making this a better situation for those kids who do not have access or have very little access to technology? Um, it's just an important conversation, and I think definitely one that we need to continue to have. So let's just be honest, sitting in front of a computer, being given information is not always going to result in learning, right? You can't say that that's remote learning. That's remote teaching, right? You're being taught the information. But just because you are giving them the information doesn't mean that they are actually learning it. It just means that they are experiencing remote teaching. And I think that's really important that we're honest about that and that we understand that if we are only giving them information, if they're only consuming that information and they're not being given the opportunity to go and do something with it through remote learning, I think there's going to be a disconnect, right? There are going to be gaps. They're not going to make the connections that we need them to make in order for real learning to happen. So, a perfect example, I think, of this being really difficult is in our home, we have three teenagers, right? And so consider a family with three learners that are expected to sit through remote teaching for each of their seven class periods. So let's say a school district decides, you know what, we're going to do this remote learning just like we would do school. So in other words, they're going to come in and they're going to join a Zoom classroom or maybe a Google Meet for each classroom at this time. That's a great idea. If it, it It's actually not a great idea, even if this was the case, <laughs> if I'm honest. But um, I think that that doesn't work in a situation where you have more than one person who is having to access that content and consider what if there's only one device? And so if that's the situation, who wins? Who gets access to the device so that they can learn that day? We're setting up a situation that doesn't make sense and it won't be sustainable. There may be families that come up with solutions short term, but eventually that's going to become really exhausting. It's going to result in arguments and we're going to have kids who just throw their hands up in the air and say, you know what, I don't have to do this and I'm not doing it anymore. And so we have to start to think beyond that. What can it look like? to do things a little bit differently. And again, that's going to require a shift in the way we see learning. We have to start realizing that we don't have to be in front of them. We don't have to be standing over them and we don't have to be giving them information all of the time for learning to occur. So what I want to do is I have kind of come up with seven suggestions, and that's all they are. I don't know if they'll work. <laughs> this is new for all of us, right? I say all the time. There were no best practices in place for emergency remote learning during a global pandemic. We are figuring this out as we go. And so these seven kind of ideas or suggestions are just that. They're just things that I sat down and thought about this evening as I considered you know, how can we focus on remote learning? And as I, as I kind of considered that and thought about it, I realized when we shift our focus from remote teaching to remote learning, there's more of an opportunity for flexibility, right? So many of these things start to make more sense. So let's just kind of go through these um, and just stay with me. I would ask you to keep an open mind because remember, 
it's a shift in mindset and a shift in the way that we see things. Um, you guys can probably hear my dog barking. She has decided to chase a squirrel while I record a podcast, which is always awesome. All right. Number one, um, I think it's important to provide remote teaching weekly rather than daily. Now, first of all, I said remote teaching, not remote learning. So when we think about that content, that delivery of content, if we could find a way to promote, to provide that at the beginning of the week and collaborate with other educators to stagger that teaching so that the students aren't being asked to sit through video teaching all day, every day, we want to instead be intentional about delivering or sharing the content one day a week and then designing experiences throughout the week that will support what was shared. So that doesn't mean that they're only learning one day a week. That just means that that one day of the week is dedicated for you to share your content. And so Monday might be this teacher's day to share their content, and they might, de they might design experiences for the rest of the week that support that content and give learners opportunities to go deeper. Uh, Tuesday might be another teacher's opportunity to provide content and then for the kids to work on learning it. You know what? It just That doesn't mean that they're still not being given the opportunity to learn um, what what every teacher is designing and what every teacher is given. But instead, it's about focusing on the learning versus the teaching. Both are important, but we have to understand that it is the learning that's probably going to give us the biggest bang for our buck. All right. Number two, design opportunities to learn by doing. So one of my core beliefs is that I believe every learner deserves the opportunity to learn by doing. And what does that mean? I mean, how, what's the difference between learning by doing? It just means that kids are given the opportunity to make connections and to learn content kind of by figuring it out themselves, right? By making connections. And so don't feel like you always have to teach something in order for your students to learn. Consider things like maker activities and project-based learning experiences that can be used to help learners make connections and reach that deep understanding through connection. I'm reminded of something that they have posted on PBL Works. And if, you've, if you haven't visited that website, it's definitely something you want to check out. I'll put it in the show notes. PBL Works is just a really great resource for project ideas and just anything PBL. And so one of the things that they talk about on their website are dessert projects and main course projects. And I think I talked about this in a podcast a couple of weeks ago, but there's a difference, right? A dessert project is a project that is done after the learning has taken place. And so it's like, okay, we finished. Now you all are going to work on a cute little project, to kind of wrap this up. And what we want to see instead are those main course projects. So those projects that actually give our learners an opportunity to learn as they work through them. So you're actually weaving the content into those experiences so that they are learning by doing, right? So I think it's important to acknowledge that you don't have to deliver content in order for them to learn. Sometimes that content can be given, it can be learned through an experience that is designed and they do beyond the walls of the classroom, right? Which very well might be our reality in the fall. So 
thinking about designing opportunities for students to learn by doing, I think is going to be really important moving forward. Number three, consider using technology tools that are accessible across multiple devices. In other words, if a learner can use their cell phone to complete an assignment, they're probably more likely to get it done, right? Not every kid is going to have access to a personal computer or a MacBook or whatever it is that some of these tools actually require for them to use well. Now, a lot of them say that they can be used well across multiple devices, but it's important for us as educators to really try that and see, hey, on my cell phone, how easy is this for me to, how easy is it for me to not only access, but use this tool um, and really being thoughtful of that before asking your students to do so. So delivering content through things like Flipgrid or YouTube, that makes it really accessible for anyone that has access to a mobile device. Now, I want to say something here. If you're putting content on YouTube, I would just make that. You can always make it. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember the word, but it's where it's it's not private and it's not um public, but there's there's an in the middle, and I just totally forgot what it is, but you guys can find it. It's kind of that middle piece of where they can only see it if they have access to the link, and that's what you would want to use if you were sharing content or sharing things with your learners on YouTube. Um, if they're using their parent's phone or another family member's device, it really is unrealistic to expect them to every hour go in and go, oh, can I have your phone again? Can I see your device again? I need it one more time. Right. We can't expect that. That's not realistic. So that goes back to the whole one time a week thing, right, where they are given that content or they have access to their teacher that first day of the week or sometime during the week so that they're only needing to to have access to that device if they're borrowing it really that one time. And so when we provide the content, we want to make sure that we're clear and concise as well. Because after that, we want to provide those opportunities to learn both with and without access to technology. Um, okay, so hopefully that's clear. Consider using technology tools that are accessible across multiple devices. Number four, when meeting with your class in Zoom or Google Meet, if that's how you are choosing to kind of collaborate and connect with them, that connection is so important. But it might be a good idea to record the meeting to share with learners that are unable to attend. So if I'm unable to um, access a device at the exact time that the meeting occurs, I still need access to that content and that conversation, right? Even though I wasn't there. So you might even consider creating like a channel or a repository where you can store remote teaching opportunities so that they can kind of be accessed on demand, right? When I have access to technology, I can go in and I can access all of the things that I might have missed when I was in a place that I didn't have access. Um, I like the idea of using Flipgrid for that and just having topics so that the kids can just go through and choose the topics that they need, watch the videos that are going to be meaningful um, and the ones you've asked them to kind of complete or watch. And then you can even within Flipgrid, because you can do those topic attachments, you can attach different learning experiences there as well. So it can really be that one-stop shop, that repository where students can access things on demand, where they don't have to attend them live. I think that is a really cool idea and something that we need to consider. Number five, 
provide options. Choice boards are a great way to do this. And I am like a super fan right now of digital choice boards. And if you haven't seen these, do yourself a favor and visit slidesmania.com. Um, Slides Mania, I'll make sure that I link to this in the show notes, but Slides Mania, whoever is whoever has created that website is just doing such a great job right now supporting educators. So there is in Slides Mania, when you click on educators, there are it's either educators or education, and then there are choice boards. And so you click on choice boards, and she has created all of these amazing templates that you can use within Google Slides to actually create choice boards. And it's so easy to do. It takes so much of the work off of you. But using those choice boards, if you're intentional about designing experiences that are meaningful both with and without access to technology, you're giving your kids an opportunity to experience learning regardless of their situation. So look at those templates and think about, hey, how can I provide you know, meaningful experiences for my kids who have access to technology, as well as my kids who don't have access. And what I, one of the things that I want to say here that I think is going to be important to continue to say out loud moving forward is I do not believe that educators should be expected to, to design two experiences. In other words, I don't think that you should have to, hey, I'm going to do this one thing for my kids who are in class and I'm going to do something totally different for my kids who are learning from home. That is not going to work. It's not going to be sustainable. But if you can just take an idea, right, if you can take an experience and just ask yourself, don't change the experience, but just think through, what does this look like with technology? And then what's another way that I could do this same thing without access to technology? And you're going to have to get creative. You're going to have to think differently. And every once in a while, there's going to be that one experience where you're like, you know what? They really have to have access to technology in order to do this. And you may have to do something a little bit different. I just don't think educators should be asked consistently to design different experiences because number one, it's going to be exhausting. (laughs) And number two, That doesn't have to be the case, right? As long as we're intentional and we're creative about thinking through what does this look like with and without access to technology. All right, we're almost done, y'all. Number six, focus on the connections that can be made in the kitchen, that can be made outside, and that can be made beyond the virtual classroom. Do me a favor. Do not provide busy work like word finds or crossword puzzles to learners that do not have access to technology. Uh, That is not okay. It's not their fault. They shouldn't be punished because they don't have access to technology. They should still, we still have to think about what does this experience look like for them? So instead, help them focus on connections as they become intentional about learning through them. Right. So how can I help them make connections in the kitchen? How can I make them how can I help them make connections on the basketball court or uh, while they're on a walk with their parents? Focus on those things or while they're playing their video games. Right. If they have any technology at all, it might be a video game. But y'all, when you think about video games, there's lots of connections that can be made there. Right. Cause and effect. Lots of math involved. Just so many different things. It's just, it requires us to think differently about learning, right? It requires us to really think about those connections 
that can be made beyond the walls of the classroom to the content so that it's real and so that they reach that deep level of understanding. All right, last but not least, finally, be careful not to design experiences that always give those with access to technology an advantage. Look, you're going to have kids who have access. You're going to have kids that don't. When you're providing feedback or even giving, giving grades on work that is completed, it is so important to be mindful of that access and how it may or may not affect the quality of the work that is done. What I'm saying here is a kid should not be penalized because they did not have access to the internet. You know, one kid who could go, maybe a kid has access and they can go on Pinterest and find a really cool way to work on this one project. And then you have another learner who doesn't have access to technology. And so they're only working on whatever it is that they have in their head. That doesn't mean that their work is any less valuable than the kid who found that really cool thing on Pinterest. We have to instead focus on the learning, right? Did they do what I asked them to do? Did they learn and understand the content? Did they, you know, think about things like life-ready skills. Were they able to use collaboration, creativity, critical thinking? Focus on those things versus is this an amazing project that this kid probably found simply because they had access to the internet. All right. I hope this is helpful. I don't know if it's going to be. These are just the thoughts that have been rumbling around in my head lately as that digital equity conversation continues to come up in almost every conversation that I have. Um, you know, like I've said so many times throughout this entire experience, no one has all of the answers. What is going to be important moving forward is that we just continue to have the conversations, that we continue to ask the important questions, that we continue to say, hey, this is working, this isn't working. <laughs> and we just continue to put our voices out there as educators to um, try to come up with the solutions that we feel like will be most beneficial for our learners. So I want to say, I always say, how much I appreciate the Meaningful Mess community. Um, I hope that today's podcast will help you find a little bit of meaning in your mess. Um, I look forward to continuing to learn with you guys in the weeks ahead. Thank you so much for being here. Don't forget to check out the show notes for some of those links, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to learn with me today. I absolutely love this community and enjoy sharing and learning with you. Check out today's episode notes by swapping up in most podcast apps. If you'd like to learn and connect more, you can follow me over on Twitter at McNairAN3, and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at A Meaningful Mess. You can always find tons of resources, inspiration, and information over on my website, andymcnair.com. Be sure to check out my blog, Genius Hour resources, and so much more. Enjoy the rest of your day, and as always, I hope that today's episode has inspired you to find meaning in your mess.